0: Eternal God, in the readings of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our own hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Our reading today comes from Matthew and Luke. On the first day of the festival of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover meal? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and say, The teacher says my time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. The disciples did just as Jesus instructed them. They prepared the Passover. That evening he took his place at the table with the twelve disciples. As they were eating, he said, I assure you that one of you will betray me. Deeply saddened, each one said to him, I'm not the one, am I, Lord? He replied, The one who will betray me is the one who dips his hand with me into this bowl. The human one goes to his death just as as it is written about him. But how terrible it will be for that person who betrays the human one. It would have been better for him if he had never been born. Now Judas, who would betray him, replied, It's not me, is it, Rabbi? Jesus answered, you said it. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take and eat. This is my body. He took a cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, so that their sins may be forgiven. I tell you I won't drink wine again until that day when I drink it in a new way with you in my father's kingdom. Then, after singing songs of praise, they went to the Mount of Olives. From Luke. When the time came, Jesus took his place at the table, and the apostles joined him. He said to them, "I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I won't eat it and I won't eat it until it is fulfilled in God's kingdom." After taking a cup and giving thanks, he said, "'Take this and share it among yourselves. "'I tell you that from now on I won't drink from the fruit of the vine "'until God's kingdom has come.' After taking the bread and giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, "'This is my body, which is given for you. "'Do this in remembrance of me.' In the same way, he took the cup after the meal and said, "'This cup is the new covenant of my blood.' Which is poured out for you. But look, my betrayer is with me. His hand is on this table. Also from Luke. When they came to Emmaus, he acted as if he was going on ahead. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us. It's nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. After he took his seat at the table with them, he took the bread. Blessed it and broke it, and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. Here ends the reading. My earliest uh, recollection of communion is actually at uh, at midnight mass in uh, in San Antonio, Texas, where I grew up. My uh, my family. Uh, Part of my family is very devoutly Catholic Roman Catholic, and they would take us if we wanted to go uh, to midnight Mass on Christmas Eve and we would uh, we would have mass right at midnight on Christmas Day. And I don't remember very much of it. I remember that the, the cathedral was very large and, and stone and um, echoey. And I remember the the priests um, coming down the aisle with the thurifer and the incense. And I remember that my family, the, who were the ones who were Catholic, got up and went and got communion. But my mother told told us told me that we weren't to do that; that we were to stay in our in our seats. My next memory is in high school when I uh, started to become religious, as it were, started to look into various religions. And um, I remember I visited a Lutheran church uh, and uh, saw communion there, but again was not invited to partake. I uh, I visited a um, a Methodist church and saw communion but was not invited to partake I uh, visited um, I believe a Presbyterian church same thing uh, observed the communion but was not invited to partake in it Um, and later in my high school years I I attended a Mormon church and uh, there uh, everyone was invited to take communion but the communion was water and bread instead instead of wine so that was really interesting and so that was kind of my experience, and it was, it was a mixed bag, and, and uh, I remember after high school as I was, as I was growing in, in my own faith, um, there was a time when uh, a relative died and we went to an Anglican service, and the Anglican service, I remember I was very impressed because the minister gave very clear instructions to make sure that everybody knew what was going on. It was a very big service. He was assuming that, that uh, most folks weren't from uh, the Episcopal Church, or Church of England or anything, and so he explained everything. But still, when it was time it came time to go for communion, we we didn't go. We weren't we weren't invited up. Um, well, we were invited up, but we couldn't take communion. We, he said we could we could ask for a blessing instead. It wasn't until I started attending Grace North Church in Berkeley, which is uh, my home church, that uh, I I really. Uh, came to an understanding of, of the Eucharist, of the communion of the Lord's Supper that was meaningful to me. And it was a very different experience. The the communion at Grace North... Uh, first of all, Grace North is a very small community. About, I think um, right now, they have maybe 30, 30 members or so. At the time, on a given Sunday, there were between 12 and 15 people at a service. And uh, what was interesting about Grace North is the the members were a wide a wide range of of folks uh, very different backgrounds uh, um, different ages uh, and also uh, Grace North uh, which had originally begun as uh, North Berkeley uh, uh, Congregational Church uh, uh, a member of the Congregational Churches of America uh, and had uh, decided not to join the UCC when the UCC was formed but had instead um, stayed with the uh, the National Association of Congregational Christian Churches. And uh, there was another community nearby, an Episcopal community, and they had a minister uh, come in from England who they who they didn't really like, and they kind of threw him out. And he left that church and brought a bunch of people over, and they, they joined this struggling uh, congregational church and, and formed Grace North. And this was, you know, 20 years before I, I came along. But... Uh, when I got there, that was still it was a fairly small congregation. But one of the things I loved about them is they had animals in their service. And so people were invited. It was in Berkeley, California. It was a very walkable place, lots of, of animals. The people were invited to bring their dogs and their cats and, and whatever else um, with them to service. And when it was time for communion, first of all, everyone was was invited up. People were told that if they didn't want to come, that was that was perfectly fine. But that that you didn't have to be baptized, you didn't have to be a member of the church, you didn't have to even consider yourself a Christian, you could come up and take communion, and it was fine. And not only that, but so we all we all gathered together. We got up and we came and we gathered together in a circle around the table. And, because um, there were only a dozen of us, so it was very easy to do. And not only that, but the people had their animals with them too, their dogs and, and their cats and things. And And when they gave communion, they gave a little piece of the communion bread, which was... A, a baked loaf of bread that the the pastor made. Um, they gave pieces of the communion bread to the animals as well as they went around. And I remember thinking how amazing a thing it was. And I asked the, the minister there is a a good friend of mine. And I asked him uh, later, um, you know, why why how did this come about? What what, what was the, the behind this? Because when I told other people about this, they were they were shocked, um, you know, shocked that we would give the communion bread to, to animals. And uh, his point was that the people were were concerned that uh, members of his community had been concerned about the fate of their animals after they died, and that they felt like um, you know they needed to also receive the communion to be you know to be saved i guess uh, to, to be you know uh, reunited with them in the afterlife and that um, John who was the the there he felt like it was his his duty to to minister to his his community and so he you know he, he did this and it caught on and became a very popular thing and so that was kind of my my first experience of, of communion that was that was meaningful to me it was small it was a, a really around the table um, you know I got to know everybody there uh, it was a very different experience from the kind of mega church communion where they pass around cups or uh, the, the the Catholic communion I had seen where everyone comes up and kneels at the altar rail. And the priest, you know, puts a puts a, um, a wafer in their hand and things, and so it it really found you know became the foundation of my faith in a lot of ways, and, and communion still is the foundation of my faith um, in a lot of important ways, and it's been really difficult for me over the past year to not be able to do communion on a regular basis, um, because of COVID nineteen I can't travel anywhere. I I was attending for a long time a, a, an Anglican church here in Tokyo and going to communion uh, there. And, uh, but I have been able to go because of COVID. And then on top of that, um, when I began Community Universalist Church, I couldn't find a really good way to do communion as part of the service. Uh, now I have a space that's much more conducive to it, but I just couldn't make it work. It didn't, didn't work in the way I liked. And uh, also, as I became um, more interested in, in Universalist Christianity over the years, and as I looked into it, especially as I was getting ready to be ordained, I um, I, I really had to rethink what communion means to me, what what it means to an universalist uh, perspective. You know, just a little bit of history about communion and why why I think it's important to me. You know, we saw in the reading, we saw uh, the the two verses. Now, there's a verse in Mark as well, but it, it it's pretty parallel to the Matthew verse that described the Last Supper. Jesus' Last Supper. The the um, the Passover feast that Jesus had with his disciples before uh, he was crucified. Uh, interestingly enough, John doesn't contain this story. Uh, John has uh, washing of the feet instead, but it's the same kind of thing. They're all getting together. So these stories were obviously very important to the early Christian community, and obviously a very important part of Jesus' ministry. And in fact... You know, if, if you look at Jesus's ministry as a whole, if you read through all the gospel texts, one thing—if if you were gonna—if you were gonna point out one thing that Jesus did, there are a couple of things you might point out, but but one of the most important, for sure, and personally I think the most important, was what uh, we often call table fellowship. And table fellowship—I uh, know fellowship can be kind of a gendered term, but table fellowship refers to. Um, coming around the table and having a meal together with people. And this was a thing that was um, becoming uh, an important aspect of the Jewish community at the time that that Jesus was was there. But the difference is that the Jewish community would only have table fellowship with folks who were ritually clean, ritually pure, because they didn't want to uh, become ritually unpure themselves and have problems when they visited the temple for prayers and things. And so there was all of this purity culture around uh, table fellowship, around eating together. And Jesus really bucked this trend. He, you know He sat down at a table with, with well-to-do religious figures of his day, but at the same table he brought uh, the poor and the needy and, and prostitutes and uh, tax collectors who tax collectors were, were considered um, bad people uh, in a lot of ways, because they were, they were working for the Roman government. So they were they were kind of working for the oppressive Roman government that was oppressing the Jewish community, and um, so all these people um, sat together around the same table with Jesus, and the religious figures of the day, the religious uh, uh, community of the day, the the religious authorities were not happy about this. They 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 constantly complained to Jesus that he did this, and Jesus said, you know, that these are the people who need me. These are the people who who need to to, to have a meal with me and so here we are uh, and that was very central to his, his ministry and so out of that comes this this idea of of table fellowship of having a meal together as a community and of everyone coming together at the same time uh, and this is what we find in the early church and we can see it in the book of acts uh, and we can also see it in the writings of the early church uh, fathers and mothers and we can see it in the in the writings uh, in, in the um, the writings of Romans when they described the, the, the early Christian um, communities and of, of contemporary Jewish writers who described the early Christian communities, they would come together and have a meal. that was, that was their primary uh, their primary worship was they came together and had a meal together. and then they took whatever was left from the meal, uh, the extras, and they gave them to the poor. That, w- that was part of their of their ritual, a really core, the core weekly ritual. have a meal. Uh, share the gospel stories with one another. Uh, you know that was that was their community, and out of that comes the celebration that we call the Lord's Supper, or Communion, or the Eucharist. Those are the, the three terms uh, for it, and which one you use depends a lot on on your tradition you come out of, but they all mean the same thing, and they all have basically the same format. Uh, the format of the of the of the communities today, the one I'm using today is from. Um, the Book of Worship of the United Church of Christ uh, in the U.S., um, but th- they're all very, very similar, and they have they have components of the same, regardless. But that took a long time to come about. When the you know early the early church had this table fellowship, by the time of the Re- of the Reformation in the 15th century, um, the communion had diverged significantly from its original um, its original form. So the the communion of um, the 15th century in both, uh, I believe, and I'm not a, I'm not a, a scholar of, of Eastern Orthodox Christianity, so I, I could be misspeaking, but in both I believe the Christian and certainly the Roman Catholic, uh, I mean the, the Eastern Orthodox and the, and the Western uh, Roman Catholic um, communities, the, the communion was performed by the priest and not by the people. And there was a lot of discussion about this. And certainly, uh, it's my understanding, and again, I, I could be wrong, it's my understanding that in Eastern Orthodox um, churches today, that the the communion is still more about the priest uh, uh, communing with God than about the, the people. But speaking from the Roman Catholic side, the, the priest would face away from the congregation, the table would be up against the wall at the back of the church, the priest would face away from the congregation, do the entire uh, service of, the, of communion, take the, the bread and the wine themselves in in place of the of the congregation and sometimes if, if there was a sharing it would be a sharing of the bread that that would be the part they would share but the wine was never shared over the bread this was one of the things that Luther when he was um, with his, when he was complaining I guess <laughs> about the Roman Catholic Church this is one of his complaints was was that the that the, the Eucharist was not being shared uh, both the bread and the wine so then the Reformation comes in in Europe uh the three big figures of the Reformation are Luther, Zwingli, and Calvin. Uh, Luther, of course, his followers go on to become the Lutherans. Um, Zwingli is very uh, very active in, in what will become later on the Baptist tradition, the Anabaptist tradition. And Calvin uh, is, kind of starts the Reformed tradition, which goes through France and, and Scotland uh, and England. Uh, and so they all had very different ideas of what the Eucharist was. Uh, Luther ha- had still held a very Roman Catholic idea about the, the fact that the but how the Eucharist worked how how it was effective um but he just had some he had some some differences that were very important in the day but but now are probably not as important as they were and in fact the Roman Catholic Church has, has changed a lot of their views um to be more in line with Luther over time and just all kinds of things but um what's important is is that he had a very kind of metaphysical understanding of it he felt like it was um, you know, it, uh, it was the saving or part of the saving act by, by having the, the bread and wine, um, you were, you were being forgiven for your sins and, and, and taking on grace. Uh, Swingley swung completely the other way. Swingley uh, thought that the Eucharist was simply a memorial service, a memorial feast to remember something. It had, he figured it had no real metaphysical, um, effects, except that, um, Jesus was present in the, with the community during during the meal, but but the actual bread and wine were just bread and wine. They they, did, they weren't the body and blood of Christ. They were just bread and wine, and it was a it was just a memorial feast. Whereas Luther thought they were the actual, the physical body and blood of, of Christ, and then Calvin was kind of in between, and and um, uh, Calvin felt more closely uh, to Luther on the on the the nature of of the communion, but. He uh, he also felt very strongly about who should who should have it who shouldn't. He felt like only people who were right with the with the community should be taking communion. And uh, when when he uh, as the Reformed churches got started in in Europe and went on, it became really common. Calvin really started this with having what they called communion tokens, and these were were tokens that were given out by the minister and. Basically, when you showed up for communion, you had to you had to present your communion token to receive communion, and it allowed the the congregation to have strict control over who was receiving communion and who wasn't. If you were, if you were um, uh, misbehaving in the eyes of the community, the the priest could could you know um, take back your token or not not give you one that week. Or that later on, these turned into cards, where you would you know you'd have to get one every every week to be able to take communion and these kinds of things. There was a lot of gatekeeping around communion by this time, is the, the point I'm trying to make. And uh, it continues on to this day. I mean, uh, the, uh, according to the Episcopal Church, you have to be a baptized Christian uh, to take communion. Uh, according to the Methodist Church, you have to be a, a baptized uh, Christian to take communion. Uh, according to um, uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church, you have to be a, a Roman Catholic communion not even a not even just a christian if you're roman catholic and you have to be confirmed so not only baptized but also confirmed in the in the church that's why um uh children have have uh first communion and this, this whole thing and then you know the other other groups it varies differently but in the ucc the united church of christ in the us um, they uh often have what's called open communion which means they they allow anybody to come up uh, and take the communion who would want to so, why is this important? Why is it important to me, and why is it important in, a, in the context of a universalist church? You know, the, the, at least by the time of the Reformation, the, the fathers of the Reformation, uh, Luther and Calvin both, believed that uh, by ingesting the communion, by, by the, the, the host, they said, the, the body and the blood of Christ, you were, you were um, receiving grace, and then that grace then um, allowed for the forgiveness of your sins, and so taking communion was very, very important. Baptism and communion were the two, the two with the you know, sacraments that were very important to the reformers, and and the two they felt like you needed to do to to be a Christian. That, that these had very important meaning for you. But in the universalist concept, when when we believe that all will, will be saved eventually, we often get get asked. I often get asked. Well, then why why bother? Like why bother with communion? Um, and certainly, you know, among um, kind of mainline Protestant churches in the U.S. in the fifties and sixties, communion became less and less important to those churches. And it went from being a weekly event to a monthly event, um, to sometimes a quarterly event for churches. Uh, it just kind of lost its its importance as church became more about uh, going and socializing with people and, and being there and less about kind of the symbolism and the, and the deeper meaning. And so in a universalist context, why is it important? Well, first of all, you know, universalist Christians don't believe that uh, there's no reason to be a Christian. I mean, the, the, I think this is maybe one of the questions I get asked a lot. Like, why, how, you know, how do you evangelize universalist Christianity if you're, if your message is that all are saved no matter what you do? Well, the answer is that, that is our message. All are saved. And that God will, will eventually, um, eventually save even you know even death even you know even um, uh, those very evil people in the, in the world in history, but that doesn't mean that being a Christian in this life has no importance or no meaning or is not valuable or is not somehow a good and and just thing to do, and I think communion is part of that, and I'm I'm with Zwingli. I don't think that that we gain grace in the act of, of taking the, the communion. But I think the memory is important. What Jesus actually said in the, in the verses was, do this in remembrance of me. And that's what we want to do. We want to remember the sacrifice and the teachings and the life and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we do that through the communion service. And it brings the community together. It makes it more difficult when we're remote like this because part of uh, what's great about communion is this togetherness, this community um, togetherness, but we can still do our best to make it, to make it as together as we can be. Um, the other thing is, I think that uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of gatekeeping around who can provide communion. In fact, this was, this was one of the things that um, was the hardest for me when I was doing my pastoral internship is I I couldn't actually do the communion prayer because I did my internship at a, at a Methodist church and the, and the Methodist book of, doctrine says you have to be an ordained um minister uh to 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 do communion to 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 preside over communion and so we found out where the letter of the law was and and, uh i would do everything except um the actual blessing of the bread and wine which which had to be done by my by my lead pastor but you know there's a lot of gatekeeping around that and i i think that that's not necessary I, i think that um you know, there's nothing magical about being being an ordained minister, especially around something that is effectively a memorial. And so, I think that there, that you should take it very seriously. It's not—I don't think it should be taken um, as as a joke or, or taken lightly. But I think that communion as a ritual can be done in the home, can be done um, without a minister present. I think that's okay. Now, there's it's interesting. So a lot of Christian denominations will have a minister bless the elements. And then we'll distribute the elements to people who, who can't come to church for some reason, who are who are homebound or sick in the hospital or those kinds of things. And that's great. I think that's that's great because you're still getting that ritual. Those people still feel like they're part of their community. They understand their community loves them. They remember that Jesus loves them and that God loves them. That, that's great. But I think that in these hard times with COVID and, and everything, although I know that things are getting much better in the U.S., although they aren't getting better in Japan yet, but they will soon. Um, but... I think what it's taught us is how we can come together as, as uh, individuals, as small communities, as families, um, and we can still do these remembrances. And so I invite you, what I'll do is I'm, I'm going to, uh, to put together a small service, um, kind of a, a mini communion, if you will, for folks to use at home um, if, they, if they want to, and I'll, I'll post that. Um, the Methodists actually have something like this uh, called a Love Feast that doesn't actually have the blessing of the elements, but it's still basically a communion. And it'll be very similar to that, I think. It'll be a very similar idea, because it's, you know, again, it's about remembrance. And I am, and we're going to make this part of the regular service. I invite you to to bring with you to service when you when you either stream live or when you watch the videos afterwards, bring with you some kind of beverage and some kind of food that can be part of the communion service. And they don't have to be bread and wine. Um, you know, Welch's grape juice was invented, uh, as I understand it, by the Methodists. Um, so that they didn't have to have alcohol as part of their communion service uh, the important part from a ritual perspective is that they're they're made somehow uh, so um they you know juice is good because you have to you know prepare it to make it um you know bread is good because you have to prepare it to make it but you can use you can use anything you can you know unleavened bread you can use rice bread um you could use rice you could i mean it really it really is about what you have on hand and what's meaningful to you. The important part of the symbolism is having the meal together. So, that's, I guess, what I have to say about communion. Even to Universalists, even when we think, uh, we understand, when we know that all people will be saved by our loving God, communion is still important, and it's still the center of my faith, because it's about the community coming together. It's about remembering. Remembering who we are, and why we're doing it, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ so long ago. Remembering the conquest uh, of death by God, remembering that, that that we are the body of Christ in the world, um, sent here to to make the world a better place, and that we can come together as a community uh, through this experience of communion to help re-energize ourselves for that for that uh, work in the world. So uh, I invite you after this to to join me in communion and to join me. Um, from now on uh, as we go on in communion as well and i hope you really think about communion and what it means to you and and um you know so for some people um, the the metaphysical aspect and the, the the mystical aspect of communion with god is very important i don't want to downplay that i you know i do feel that, that christ is is present in a real way with you when you sit down to communion when you sit down uh, to the lord's uh, supper i also want people to realize that no one can gatekeep communion. The, the table that, that we have communion at is not our table. It's Jesus' table. And Jesus invites everybody to come to it. Certainly, I don't want you to go to a Roman Catholic church and go up and have communion you know, to, to spite somebody. <laughs> but, but I want you to know that God doesn't have any such gatekeeping in, in place. And Jesus doesn't have any such gatekeeping in place. And all are welcome. To partake, no matter who you are, you, even if you don't consider yourself a Christian, even if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you know you might find meaning in this in this remembrance and thinking about this, and that's that's the important part. Amen.